Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. Today we're going to talk about a myth of fear, uh, a misunderstanding, uh, an obstacle really to better health in the whole general category of ketogenic diet. And where my focus has been for the last really year, uh, pretty much to two, is on protein, protein sparing modified fast, both for my own health and uh, bringing it into the coaching programs that we offer and individually. So we're going to talk about the the concept that has been, I think, misrepresented. Um, it's been um, falsely put out there that protein will spike your blood sugar. And um, the way I answer that now is different than the way I answered it before. And that is that you know, now most people can get access to the Freestyle Libre CGM. And so I tell them to get one of those, call up the doctor and say, hey, I'd like to uh, monitor my blood sugar because it has to be prescribed. Why it has to be prescribed, I have no idea. But anyway, it has to be prescribed. I have to get it from my doctor, by the way. I'm in North Carolina, but if you're in Connecticut, I can prescribe one to you. <laughs> nah, my, aren't we a funny country? Um, so if they slap that on, they will then start to get familiar with a, okay, it's it's not accurate from minute to minute to minute. It, gets, it can be off as much as 30 levels, 30, uh, 30 points. And uh, why you would know that is because intermittently you're then taking your actual uh, glutometer reading with a, a blood, you know, a, a lance and make yourself bleed and measure that on a glutometer. So you can... Uh, measure both levels, and eventually they do get to be pretty pretty much the same. But initially they're off. But so when I tell people to put it on, and we use this a lot in in our programs, is that we're not going for the numbers on this one. We're going for the graph that will visually give you what your twenty four hours looks like, and, and it goes on for fourteen days. By the way, you have to measure at least every eight hours, so that's the memory it can hold. So if you uh, measure it at least at hours, it will then download it into your phone. Or if you actually have a meter like I do, um, it will then download it into the memory of the meter. And then from there you upload it. So, um, and send it to me for instance, and I look at it and that's how that works. Pretty neat. So it's the pattern that I get people to, 
to think about and to look at and to get familiar with. And you go from hills to valleys to straight lines. And so boring and straight is really what the goal is, boring and straight. So the actual number as it's read on that particular graph may be off. Just drop it. Don't worry about that. We're looking for the graph, which is actually really pretty uh, accurate. The only other way to get around this for greater accuracy is really to spend um, you know, ne nearly up to $1,000 on a very sophisticated continual glucose monitor. So if you want to do that, you'll get better results and you get both the accurate reading and the graph. But for most of us, at the other end, for 40 bucks for two weeks, you can wear this. And uh, I think it's a remarkable facility to be able to bring this kind of awareness to each of us individually and then to people um, you know, through programs to help teach them. And by the way, way back when I first started practicing in the late 1900s, isn't that funny, the late 1900s, 1999 be specific, graduated in 98. So back then it was, uh, there were some uh, glucometers that were starting to get progressively a little more sophisticated that you, they would bring it into you and you would download the results and you would see their, their graph, their ups and downs and so on and so forth. But nobody took it seriously to just be sort of a graph analysis only. Because you would see these ups and downs saying, oh, well, that was too high. Oh, that was too low. That was too high. That was too low. And so I'll confess, I think I missed the point to that kind of technology. I should have said, look, we need a straight line. We need it boring and straight. And the only way we can get there is by changing your food. So I had a learning curve. Like I think most physicians still have a learning curve in terms of understanding that kind of information. So anyway, if you have this on your arm and you're getting used to it, that really allows us to have a more intelligent conversation. And the more intelligent conversation is going to go something like this. You either go into a, a protein-sparing modified fast. The, the hills and valleys are going to be indicative of the amount of carbohydrates in your diet, nearly nothing else. Fat's going to give you a, a flat and straight line. A protein, in a very minor way, will give you a little bit of rise to your blood sugar. However, if you have protein with a lot of carbs, what it does, it ends up exaggerating or amplifying, might be a better word, making bigger the response that you see to your carbohydrates. So if you have your donut, that's a pretty bad example of a carbohydrate. I mean, it's a good example of carbohydrate, but a pretty bad carbohydrate to have. You're going to see your blood sugar go up. So that graph is going to peak. If you now say, I'm going to have a donut, or think of these, if you went into Dunkin' Donuts or something, and they have the croissants with the, with the hamburger, or the eggs. So now you've put in the protein the hamburger or the sausage they would have, the sausage and the egg between two big pieces of a croissant, you're going to see that that almost doubled. It's going to be, holy cow, what did you just have, candy? So when you look at it that way, you're going to say, and then if you want to go back and compare and just have the croissant and then go back and compare and just have the, the protein, it's separate days because you need the washout, as they say you're going to see significant differences. So the difference between you having the croissant and the croissant, the egg and the, and the sausage in there is going to probably be a factor of two to three. And you're going to go, holy smokes, what's in the protein? That's not exactly the, the, um, the question to ask, but it's reasonable.
we'll get to get to that. And if you were to look at the um, protein first, and then add the croissant, and then add the protein and the croissant, you're going to see three major steps going up. And you're going to go, what happened when I had the protein only, the sausage in the in the egg with nothing on top of it? You're going to go, nothing much happened. You know, I, I didn't really see a response. And by the way, this sort of general representation of this is how everybody responds to these situations is a little bit too generic and there's a big variation. So if you're a person who is a diabetic, we did this on you, just just the protein, then the croissant, and then the combination of both. <clears throat> for one, it probably wouldn't be a good idea for you to be doing the croissant only part. But anyways, you would see even on the protein, it would be fairly high. Your body is already habituated to amplifying, you know, just just in eating. So you're so you have so many levels of reaction baked in to you know, alarming your pancreas to shoot out the insulin and so on, that you're going to see these things. Um, whereas if you took somebody who is not diabetic, not even pre-diabetic, has always been metabolically fit, okay? They are metabolically fit. They don't necessarily have to be in ketosis. You're going to see a pretty standard, the protein didn't increase their blood sugar much, uh, let's say they had a blood sugar around the mid-80s, it may raise it into the high 90s, or even um, the low 100s, under 105, what, say 105-ish. And so you go, okay, well, that's something. Whereas if you took the croissant, we're now, it's a, this metabolically fit person is probably going to have a reaction to getting it up to 200 or maybe even 250 for a little bit, and then it's going to come back down. And then the combination obviously would be fairly high, even higher. Okay, so uh, what does that say? It's sort of seems like it's a reasonable test to do, but what it shows is that it's a combination of protein plus carbs. And with that, you can even open the category of what kind of carbs we're having. Are we really having the croissant? Are we going to have a tomato or, or just lettuce? And, you know, and so that's a carb, not much. Um, and cucumbers on it. Well, that would be a whole different combination. But when you put the two together, you amplify the spike in glucose and therefore the subsequent insulin spike. So in that case, you could probably say, gosh, the protein spiked my blood sugar. All right. But it's the combination. Please remember it's the combination. So now let's say we take you and we're going to go, we're just going to do a month of uh, protein sparing modified fast, which means for five days a week, we're going to have lean proteins, the fish, uh, the egg without the yolks on these five days, um, the meat with the fat trimmed, you know, or specifically choosing lean cuts of, of meat. And then for two days a week, we're going to simply add back in the fats like the egg yolks and we'll have some liver. And that's what we're going to do for a month. And we can make it all, just believe me, we can make it all taste scrumptious because we're going to pretend on this particular conversation that we can both cook really well. And you can make eggs eggs and egg yolks and because you've saved the egg yolks from Monday through Friday. Now you got a whole bunch of them. And look at the things you can make. You can make some egg yolk waffles. You can... Um, do a lot of things. And then liver, you go, yuck, you, you don't like liver. Well, you can make liver worse. You can make liver pate. You can make it taste good. So we're going to assume that we've gotten by your, your limited taste buds and it's all going to taste good. So in the course of a week, we have 
brought in, it, it's a balanced diet, not on the Mondays and Fridays, but all in all, the whole week is balanced because you've compensated on the weekends by having whole food sources of fatty foods, the egg yolks and the livers uh, made up for the time of the Monday through Friday that you didn't have it. Okay, then. Um, we're going to find then by the same glucometer, and we're watching you on a glucometer, is that your Monday through Friday with this metabolically healthy person is going to be boring and flat. It's going to be boring and flat, which is a really good thing. That's that's ideal. That's a good blood sugar level. Boring and flat. And then when the weekend comes, it's still boring and flat. We just added in the, the fat. For another person who was not metabolically fit, and we did the same scenario there, they would probably come from a hills and valleys to a, a more, not flat, it would be more smoothed out. And eventually, if they kept doing this week after week, it would get to boring and flat. And we're hoping their culinary skills or that they lived in a house or with somebody that had the culinary skills to make it all interesting so they didn't feel they were, you know, eating prison food Monday through Friday, because that's certainly not the case. So that's an important distinction because the the myth in the lie, if you ask me, is that blood sugar spikes your blood sugar, protein spikes your blood sugar is not true. And it can for in the protein sparing modified fast, let's say for this this metabolically fit person that went from the 80s, mid 80s to the low 100s, that soon would just taper out back to pretty much the low 80s. You know, I'll go back to normal. Maybe it might take a number of weeks because you now are you've you've now forced yourself back into a more conclusive ketosis. You're having the amount of pro- protein you are required to have, we've been through these calculations, right? And those calculations are ideally one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. Or another way of saying that in kilos is 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram of ideal body weight. Okay then. And so that's considerably higher than most people have, by the way. I don't think you, if you started doing that right now, you would not know probably anybody in your family or anybody else. For one, nobody knows how much protein they're they're taking, but let's pretend that they do. And they, for that one day, they all got the magic ability to say how much protein they actually had that day. It would be less than half that. That's just the, that's just the way it is. They're not doing anything academic. That's just how everybody's grown up is not having enough protein. And so as you get older, Certainly, as you pass 50, your goals should be eating more protein and, and, and exercising more for just to throw that in so you don't end up being too superficial in your understanding of this situation. And we're talking about thwarting the possibility of you having sarcopenia, which is what most people get as they get older because they continue not having enough protein for the next 40 or 50 years of life after 50. So there you go. So it's important to recognize protein as an independent macronutrient, especially if it's a whole food source of a macronutrient, uh, will serve you very, very well. And that might pretty much be all that you need to have in that source. It will never be just 100% protein. It will always be with probably 20 or 30 or 40% fat, even as lean as you get it. You're never going to get it any closer than 70% of protein. So there you go on that. And that's with fat trimmed, et cetera, et cetera. 
So protein does not spike. When we talk about spiking your blood sugar, a spike is 100 points, it's 150 points, it's 200 points, it's 300. Do you know people can get up to 600, uh, uh, a, a, a measurement of over 600? I mean, clearly they're diabetic. But this, those are spikes. Those are those are spikes. Those are dangerous spikes that, at all costs, need to be brought down. And um, it's the all cost that's going to kill you eventually because they have to bring in heavier medications and so on and so forth, more insulin and so on. So it's not a spike. Does it go up a little bit? It probably will go up a little bit, and then it will subside as your body gets used to making this. Oh, I'm now mostly a protein eater with fat, which is a ketogenic diet, by the way. You're within. You're, you're burning fat. That's your preferred fuel, the fat that you're eating and the fat on your body. And let's say you eat a lot of protein more than you need. Well, first of all, it's hard to get to that point, but then your protein can go into gluconeogenesis, which does, right? So I think we talked about this before, it's particular amino acids and collectively, will wake up your liver to say, we would like you to make some glucose for us. That's called gluconeogenesis, GNG. And so you always get a little of that. You know, I learned when I was uh, reviewing about the cats as being obligate carnivores, you know, they have to eat protein. So it's not like an option. They have protein. Everything else is garbage. So there's no reason for them to have any carbs. You're not giving them a break. You're not doing them a favor. It's not like nutritious. They need to have 11 amino acids, essential amino acids, humans are arguably eight or nine, depending how you put what you think of glutamine. And so, but in that, protein is perfect for them because they're, they have one, first of all, it's a short list. They don't have to go shopping. <laughs> they, they can just eat their prey. And what they get is not just muscle, they get the liver, they get the viscera. And the argument is that, oh, well, they get some of the carbs from the viscera of the animal they just killed. That's how it was for the millennia that cats and all cats, right? I'm speaking all cats, mountain lions, tiger lions, domestic cats um, have. But for the most part, if they were just all eating animals, forget about the viscera, their body, it has the ability of make its sugar. So they, they will get its glucose. So it is not just, oh, I just have proteins for that reason. So for them, it is built in and it is a survival ability that it, to turn it a little bit differently. It's like saying, you know, for this metabolism, for this 100% obligated carnivore, they can only eat animal meat, that you eat that and we will make a portion of your protein go to glucose. So well, that's excellent because your nerves need glucose, your red blood, their nerves need uh, blood cells, uh, their nerves need glucose, their red blood cells need glucose, and parts of their brain need glucose, just like humans, but they get it automatically. So coming to humans, which are not obligate carnivores, but they have a very high stomach acid, which in many ways people think that we're more carnivore than the top carnivores by measuring of stomach acid because you need a high stomach acid to break down the protein that, um, you know, and they've done the various studies of collagen as we talked about before, um, that it shows that we have always eaten the top carnivores. 
and the carnivores have eaten the lesser carnivores, and the lesser carnivores have eaten the herbivores, and the herbivores have eaten the herbs, the grass, the plants. And that's how that worked. And so they know that um, for a good 50, 100,000 years, that man was a top carnivore. And the question always comes up, can you domesticate that? Can you change something that's existed for so long to something that can accommodate um, plants? I don't have the answer to that. I don't think the modification or the adaptation is as good as some people think it is. I used to be all over veggies, you know, go to the raw um, veggie restaurants and think you're having a really clean meal and how uh, tasty that was. But I think if there was no such things as phytates and oxalates in plants, that would be something because those are things that block a lot of uh, nutrients from being absorbed as well as making for gut problems, but a slightly different tangent. So the myth I want to stay focused on, when you say, oh, it spikes my people go, I hear if I eat protein, it's going to spike my blood glucose and take me out of ketosis. You know, that too much protein will kick you out of ketosis. Seriously. No, it's not the case. So put that to bed. And, uh, you know, I even did a, a a debate on one of the, was it a year and a half ago, two years ago now? And at the time, it was it was just a thing to say, you know, that uh, at the end of that debate, the, the guy said, oh, I guess actually it was cut. It wasn't my, it wasn't my, um, I was in the debate, so I wasn't recording it. But the guy who recorded it cut that part. In the end, the guy says, oh, it's just something I say to get people riled up, you know? And then that was cut from the argument. It's like, I don't get it. Um, so you got to be careful what people say. And right now you can get your own lie detector, which is your CGM, and you can find out for yourself what works for you specifically. And you can have your own little experiments that go on with this. And therefore you will know. I just, I think that's such a tremendous gift to have. I mean, do you think that maybe 20 years ago, glucometers were like a big t- big thing. They were starting to get more convenient. Right now, you can slap on this little button of a meter and have your phone read it and then upload it to yourself or to whoever else is uh, interpreting these results. And you're becoming much more a, of a graphic interpreter. That's a big deal if you did nothing else but that. So I would say that if if I was to close every podcast I did with one thing, to say one thing, what would that be? Make sure you have enough protein. Make sure you have enough protein. And that is one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. I've had videos, so you can go over to YouTube and now I'm doing videos on what I think is appropriate to cover. Sometimes they're a little more academic, so they're not so followed. Sometimes they're fun, we're in the kitchen, so they're followed a lot. But I would suggest for you to to watch everything. Yeah, of course. But, you know, we go into iron, we go into magnesium, we go into some things you really need to know about yourself. You know, don't just follow the crowd. And and if you have topics that you think that I want to cover, because this question I'm getting about the question of this, this myth about protein going to blood sugar and, oh, we shouldn't be doing that. I don't know where that came from, but clearly that's disinformation. It's wrong. It's It's been wrongly presented. It's untruthful. I can't say anything stronger about do not believe that and you need to have more protein and do not have, ideally, shave away the carbs. 
You can't tell me the carbs are necessary. We haven't had, we do have a garden and we have spices and we put them in the foods and on the foods. Only thing we didn't plant this year because we moved into a, a new house is uh, basil. We usually have jars of pesto and that's usually not with the pine nuts, by the way, just sort of like a olive oil and avocado oil with, and we make good stuff. We, we cook on, you know, we put it on our fish, we put it on our meat, we put it everywhere. Um, and so those are the things that we've invested ourselves in. So you can say, well, oh, there's a little carbs in that. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. But um, not much, not much at all. So um, I hope you hear this and I hope this puts this little, um, call it a fear, call it a myth, call it a, a lie to bed. It's not true. And stand up for yourself and say, that's not true. And better yet, get a CGM and be your own interpreter of what you see is going on. Send me an email on how it's going. You can even send me a screenshot of how it looks before and after. Hey, this is me before and this is before after. You know, it is amazing. I, I can... Uh, I can read schizophrenia into the graphs now. I can read bipolar into the graphs now. And obviously I can read, you know, metabolic fitness into the graphs. And so can you. Flat and boring. That's metabolic fitness. Um, has to do with your food choices and has to do with your ability to be able to burn fat easily. You know, make ketones easily. And that would just be a moderate ketosis, by the way. So please don't, be, uh, believe that lie, myth, untruth, and uh, rise above that. And we'll continue with this, but I think this is probably one of the most important things that you can know, that protein needs to be high enough throughout the day. And ideally, if you can make it four eating sessions, unless you are a top athlete, four eating sessions. And if you figure you go to bed around, let's say the average person goes to bed around nine o'clock, and they wake up at seven o'clock, so that is 10 hours, and maybe you have breakfast at 8 o'clock, so that's 11 hours. There's still a chunk, a big chunk of time. Um, I was paying attention to what I eat. I eat primarily around uh, 8.30 to 9 after we get to work out, and then maybe 11.30, 12, and then maybe around 2, 2.30, and then we have a larger dinner, which is more or less the same. Uh, around uh, 5.30, specifically 5.30, not around. So I hope that helps. I hope you do that. And I, and I know you will see an improvement in your health if you do that. We haven't talked about quality of meats and so on and so forth, but if you stick to whole food sources as opposed to processed food, that will be a big deal. We will be talking about um, at the at powders versus whole food sources. Is there a difference? And uh, there is a difference in the degree of processing. Most studies, by the way, out of convenience, do use powders, you know, they because they, you can measure it more easily, you can dose it out, you can't say, well, just eat X amount in a steak, well, the steaks are not uniform, and so on and so forth. But other studies now are using whole food sources, and they're finding that um, it might, have, might not have the immediacy of increasing amino acids in the blood, but it doesn't necessarily mean that your muscle doesn't uptake, absorb the amino acids that it needs over a slightly longer period of time. So there might be the benefit in the whole food sources just on that way. But most research out of convenience is, can you, you know, it's a canister. You go around and give everybody a little bit. Um, and they all had the same and you measured their height and weight, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, Katie, I'll 
Till next time, send me any questions you have. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Dr. Goldkamikin for a brief reminder of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough and many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode, uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So what you need to do is to send me your questions at drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. So that's D-R-G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P at K-E-T-O-N-A-T-U-R-O. P-A-T-H.com, Dr. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonaturopath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you cho- choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of a, just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions. And uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.